You know, she had just found out that her husband was killed. She still had tears in her eyes and the way she held herself together, the way she addressed the crowd, you know, she didn't supplicate, she didn't beg, she didn't plead, she demanded action. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, February 21st. Today, I am joined by Julia Yaffe to talk about the tragic death, likely murder, of Alexei Navalny in Russia. Julia knew Alexei personally and explains what he meant to the world and his country, how his wife is carrying on the fight, and how Navalny's death has brutally shattered hopes for a brighter Russia of the future after Vladimir Putin. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. If you're like me, after you got news late last week that Alexei Navalny had died, you did two things. Uh, you went back and watched the amazing, powerful documentary Navalny uh, about his struggle uh, against Vladimir Putin and his fateful statement straight to camera at the end of the film when he was asked, what do you say to people? to carry on the fight after you die. And he said, you can't give up. That clip circulated everywhere uh, in the wake of the news. Incredibly powerful documentary. Please go watch it if you haven't. The other thing was you were waiting for my colleague, Julia Yaffe, to weigh in, who not only is an expert in Russia, but knew Navalny and his wife, Julia, personally. Julia, you filed a piece called The Tragedy of Navalny, I first saw it. In fact, I missed that it went up on the site. Uh, my mom texted it to me and said it was incredibly powerful, moving, uh, and of course, so darkly depressing. You're in Munich right now, and you were at the Munich Security Conference when this happened. And in fact, on Thursday night, last Thursday, the night before the world got the news that Alexei Navalny had died, uh, and I should say was killed by Vladimir Putin and his henchmen, and you had a chance to talk to her, and she said... Alexi's doing good. What was the scene like the next day at the Munich Security Conference when Yulia took the stage and, you know, really took on the mantle of, of Russia's freedom fighter now that her husband is gone? Well, the, the mood was shock. I mean, people were shocked. And then people were saying, wait, why are we shocked? We shouldn't be shocked. But I think the reason so many of us were shocked is because their optimism wasn't you know, cheesy American optimism, like good always conquers evil and everything's going to be okay. It was a kind of optimism that was grounded really firmly in the Russian reality and in kind of dark Russian humor. And they were so kind of genuine about it. They knew, you know, they didn't dismiss 
the hurdles that lay ahead, they addressed them squarely and they were like, but we will persevere. And it was very infectious. I think most of us believed that he would outlive Putin. He is younger. Putin won't live forever, no matter his efforts. You know, the man takes literal bloodbaths to increase his longevity. Is that true? There have been reports. Um, there was a report in Prayekt, which is an independent Russian uh, investigative news organization, that, um, you know, all this like shamanistic stuff is very popular among the Russian elite and then kind of close to Putin, you know, like they do rituals with toad poison of which one mm. guy died. They also take baths with the blood of these, um, that they get from these very young reindeer. It's a very specific kind of reindeer out in Siberia. And when their horns are still growing, they cut them off Well, you know, without like providing any kind of anesthetic to these poor animals and they cut them off and they and they shave those horns down which are still very soft and like use the blood that they harvest from these animals for these like allegedly rejuvenating baths mm. you know despite putin taking these literal blood baths for his longevity everybody knows he will die eventually and because alexei was a generation younger they thought he would pick up the mantle or they hoped he would mm. at least try and this kind of killed that. I think uh, people at Munich were totally stunned. And and then when Yulia got up there to speak, she didn't pick up the mantle till Monday. But on Friday, she got up there and she said, you know, I thought I should fly to see my kids immediately. But then I realized that what Alexei would want me to do would be to be here with you and to address you. And, um, you know, she had just found out that her husband was killed. She still had tears in her eyes. And the way she held herself together the way she addressed the crowd, you know, she didn't supplicate, she didn't beg, she didn't plead, she demanded action. And she promised vengeance and justice for the people who did this, as she said, who destroyed her country and, and her family. And it was interesting that she put those in that order. And I think that made a huge impression on people. I think everybody that I spoke to, they all said a version of the same thing, which is she's stronger than I could ever be, which is like, yeah, mm -hmm. I don't think most people could do that. I read an interview with Daniel Rohr the other day, the, the filmmaker who did Navalny, and he said something similar on the optimism note, which, he, which is like, even though he sat down with Navalny and got him to say on camera, if you die slash when you die, what is your message? He still didn't think he would die. And he still thought because of his youth and his dedication and his bravery, he would still outlive Putin, emerge from prison like Nelson Mandela to a changed Russia. Um, and reading that in the wake of, of this death from apparent poisoning of Novichok, it felt so naive to hear that note of optimism from him. Just because maybe I'm just looking at this also through the prism of the war in Ukraine, where it's just became clear in the last two years that there isn't really hope for this person or this state uh, and all of the people who have left the country. It just feels like Putin has Russia in his full and total grasp and nothing is going to change. And you sort of hit at that in your piece. Like, tell me a little bit of the about the pessimism that you're hearing out of Russia, both from writers, but also friends. So, you know, what's interesting this weekend, I realized, you know, as non-Russians were saying to me, like, why are you shocked? And I was like, well, because I didn't, I really 
didn't think this would happen. I thought this would be a Nelson Mandela story. And mm -hmm. I realized, you know, for all the people who had made fun of tomorrow will be worse and who have said, oh, you know, you're so Russian, you're so pessimistic. Mm. It's like, A, the roles have reversed and B, now you all see why the newsletter was called Tomorrow Will Be Worse mm. and mm -hmm. why having spent my career writing about Russia, I have that view on things because, you know, the Russian phrase is, we thought we'd hit rock bottom, but then someone knocked from down below. Like there's always another bottom, like there's always more further to fall. It's always going to get worse and it'll always be worse than you think it's going to be, even if you prepare yourself. On the Nelson Mandela front, I think because there was already that historical example, people were, I think, kind of expected that and it felt like I think maybe they deserved that too, that story too. And I ran into Michael McFall again on mm -hmm. Friday night you know, a few hours after we'd learned about Navalny's death because we don't know when he actually died. You know, and Michael McFall studied, originally studied Africa, like you, Peter, and he came up in the anti-apartheid movement and wrote his dissertation about all that stuff, and he studied revolutions in Africa. And he was telling me how when he was teaching his students at Stanford about Russia, Michael McFall, of course, was once the ambassador, uh, the U.S. ambassador mm -hmm. to Russia, but he said... You know, I teach my students about these revolutions and I say, you know, for every Mandela, there are many, many activists and people who die in prison and we forget about because they were not Mandela, because they didn't have that luck of getting out and being able to lead the revolution in the end. And that he kind of felt haunted by those words now. And now uh, I am haunted by them too. I think people are cheered by Yulia's, in, you know, to your question about Russians, I think people are cheered by Yulia getting in and taking up the mantle. She has all the positive associations for people of Navalny and none of the negatives that were associated with him. You know, his past hmm. flirtations with Russian nationalism and racism. You know, she never made a video comparing migrants to cockroaches, but she's still in Navalny. You know, she still has his last name. She was there with hmm. him. She was there at every court hearing. She packed his prison bags. She was with him at every protest. She saved his life in August of 2020 when he was poisoned with Novichok. She doesn't have his, you know, prickliness and perceived kind of authoritarianism. So she has all the advantages and none of the disadvantages that he, or none of the like negatives associated with that brand so far. So, but I think there's still a sense that it is such a long shot most of the Russian opposition is outside of Russia or in jail. And there are plenty of people in Russia who don't like this regime, don't like what it what Putin has done to their country. But when you're getting people arrested, hundreds of people getting arrested across the country for putting flowers down at memorials, mm -hmm. there's not much space for a movement or much space for activism. There's not much space for that kind of leadership to be effective. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a quick break, Julia, and when we come back, I want to ask you about your own relationship with Alexei. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. 
Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right. I found that on Etsy. It's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast welcome back to the powers of be everybody i'm talking to julia yaffe about the tragedy of alexei navalny and his death in russia in an arctic penal colony russia is holding his body for uh, weeks, uh, supposedly to examine, you know, and figure out his real cause of death. But, you know, I think we can all assume that the reason <laughs> the Russian state holds people's bodies for weeks is so that the uh, traces of poison can leave their body. Julie, I don't know if you're public or private on Instagram, but I follow you on Instagram. And you posted something over the weekend, and it was a picture of you and Alexei Navalny at, uh, looks like a party. It uh, looks like a party at your house or someone's house in Russia, apartment. The caption of your of your Instagram posts, he came to your going away party when you were moving back to the States in 2012. He chided you for leaving. Things were just getting interesting, he said. Back then, there was still so much hope and possibility in Russia, so much promise. That Russia, those days, seemed like a happy dream, unrecognizable from the Russia. It became, it is all unbearable. That was your Instagram post. Um, What was he like in person? Because 
you clearly knew him, you were covering him, but also he socialized with journalists, uh, clearly. In the documentary, at least, I think that's how most people know him in the English-speaking world. Obviously, he had incredible following on social media, YouTube in particular, exposing corruption in Russia that, you know, his videos would get millions upon millions of views. But, you know, he comes across as charismatic, his incredible sense of humor, Uh um, extremely just one of those people that you feel like you meet in life. And it's like, when do you sleep, man? Like, where do you get this energy? (laughs) Um, What was he like in person? Was he like, was he intense? Was he lighthearted? Was he the life of the party? Just give me, give me and the listeners a sense of just his, his personality away from the cameras. Yeah. I mean, so one thing I will say that the reason I posted that photo was not because I wanted to say that, you know, I'm, I was close friends with Navalny, which I wasn't. You know, we often butted heads um, because mm. he didn't always like my coverage, uh, just like he didn't always like the coverage of other journalists. But what I wanted to show was that this Russia that we had uh, that seemed hopeful that, you know, there might be a different future, non-Putinist, non-revanchist, non-Soviet, non-terror Russia seemed absolutely possible. And just the very last shred of hope for that Russia or proof of its existence was killed on Friday, or we found out it had been killed on Friday. Navalny in in real life was like you saw him in the documentary. I thought they did an amazing job of showing him. He was incredibly funny, witty, self-deprecating, liked to needle you as well. Uh, He was super sharp and fast, and Mm. he was trained as a lawyer, so he knew how to figure out all these corrupt schemes and ask for documents, et cetera. That's kind of how he got a start. He was also, um, you know, he was a really good politician that, you know, I met him in 2010 when I thought I was going to do kind of a quick blog post about him. This is the days of blogs for like Forbes or Fortune because he was exposing corruption in Russia's state companies like Gazprom and Transneft Mm -hmm. and all these places. And then I went to meet him for lunch. And I remember just being completely blown away by him instantly. I was like, holy shit, this is like like a, a young Bill Clinton or a young Barack Obama. Just the the charisma, the you know, just sucks all the air out of a room, but in a good way. The kind of person who, when they talk to you, you feel like you're at the center of the universe and you're mm. having the most important conversation. Uh, and that's when I wrote to David Remnick and said, hey, I think we should write about this guy. And he was, he was always like that, but at the same, and he socialized with people, but he was still, you know, he, that doesn't mean he let them in. He had a few very close friends, but that, and his family, and that was it. And he, the other remarkable thing about him that I think isn't the case about with a lot of politicians, and maybe this is because he was still out of power and still saw himself as um, kind of getting ready. He was intellectually honest and willing to accept his mistakes and learn from them. So hmm. people in the West know, you know, that he made those racist videos, that he spoke at, at this Russian nationalist march, which was a really ugly spot on his record. But what they don't know is the way he confronted those errors when journal, you know, journalists like myself and many other Russian journalists kept confronting him with them. You know, the amount of reading and talking and thinking and introspection he did to move away from that. Ukrainians will point to the fact that he said, you know, Crimea is not a sandwich. You can't, you know, give it back once you've eaten it. 
you know, they'll point to that, which he said, I think, 10 years ago when Crimea was first annexed. But they don't point to the fact that from jail, he wrote a 15-point basically manifesto on Ukraine in which he said, you know, this war is not justified. All aggression has to stop. All the land Russia has taken has to be given back, including Crimea. Russia has to pay reparations to Ukraine. Hmm. Uh, you know, like you, you weren't ever going to get a better Russian president than that. You know, you weren't if hmm. you're from the Ukrainian point of view. So the ability to correct his mistakes and read and think and inquire and grow. Uh, you don't see in a lot of politicians, especially once they get power, but he, that was a very unique ability of his. I mean, he was a really, he was a really remarkable person. And um, I really respected and admired him, even if, even when I, even when he pissed me off and I disagreed with him, um, he was a, he was a giant. Also physically too, he was really tall, really big guy. <laughs> he got that vibe watching it. But yeah, charisma with or without the height, for sure. But yeah, it was so, I mean, that's why I love the documentary because you could see him. Mm -hmm. You saw him as he really was, like the, that incredible sense of humor, the wit, the way he doesn't really take anything seriously, except he really does. I think it really showed him as he is. I love the documentary. Yeah, I watched it, it so again. Glad. Um, I sobbed my face off at the end of it because, uh -huh. you know, there's this, the, the scene when they're coming, Yulia's coming out of the airport, Alexei has already been arrested. And a doctor, one of the state doctors says, thank you for what you and your husband do. And there's all these thousands and thousands of people who are greeting her, who are protesting for Navalny. And I just remember seeing that in 2023 and thinking they're all gone. How many of them are still in Russia? Like those people who cared enough, they're all gone. And now it's really, really gone. Julia, thanks for insights. Um, incredibly moving week for you, I'm sure. Um, go have a beer in Munich or something. <laughs> Thank you as always. Thank you, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.